This is Magic City Soccer. Es el fútbol de la ciudad mágica. This is Magic City Soccer. Este es el fútbol de la ciudad mágica de Miami. This is Magic City Soccer. Let's go, Miami FC. This is Magic City Soccer. This is Magic City Soccer. Vamos, Miami. This is Magic City Soccer. This is Magic City Soccer. Este es el fútbol de la ciudad mágica de Miami. This is Magic City Soccer. This is Magic City Soccer, your home for everything you need to know about soccer in Miami-Dade County. Hello, soccer fans in South Florida and beyond, and welcome to our broadcast this afternoon. Um, I'm here joined with Abel Yaroa. Abel, how are you doing, pal? We're doing great. We're just... <laughs> we are doing great, yes, and uh, we have a, a special guest with us. We have a lot of questions to ask, so we're going to cut right to the chase. Uh, we are speaking, of course, with Mr. Jorge Mas, managing of Inter-Miami CF. Mr. Mas, how are you doing this afternoon? I'm doing great. Thank you very much uh, for giving me the opportunity to share our, our love and passion for the soccer in Miami. <laughs> uh, it's our pleasure. Again, we, we have uh, a lot of questions to get to, including some questions asked by our, um, our listeners, our readers, our, yes. our audience. Um, we do kind of, we're going to kind of frame this in kind of three areas. The first area being Lockhart Stadium. That's been the most recent point of discussion, obviously, for people in the world of, of South Florida soccer. We're then going to talk a little bit about Miami Freedom Park, which is the destination, the ultimate, the terminus destination for Inter-Miami CF in Miami-Dade County. And then we're going to get to some questions about team operation and, and, and what's the direction of the team going forward as they do target a launch March of 2020. So let's go to our first area of discussion. Last week, your ownership group was awarded the rights to basically redevelop um, the area next to Fort Lauderdale Executive uh, Airport. Uh, first off, if you could, would you please kind of walk us through how did you get from the beginnings of a search for your training facility and youth academy to settling on, to, to, to deciding to go with Lockhart Stadium? That's a first great question. Um, you know, and, and frankly, when one of the things that uh, was very alluring uh, to my brother and I when we got involved uh, with Inter Miami and, and this venture with MLS was the focus and concentration on youth, youth soccer, and the component of an academy which is very different than other professional franchises. When you see that we're going to have at Inter Miami the opportunity to start training and developing young men at 12 years of age, from 12 and under all the way through 18 and under, it was something to us that was very alluring because it would allow us to develop homegrown talent. It would allow us to really focus on the roots of soccer in, in South Florida, in Miami-Dade and Broward County. So when we started looking at a location for our training facility and our academy, it was really driven by, you know, where does youth soccer thrive? How can it be easiest for the youth players and their parents and not necessarily for my first team or my first team players. So the location wasn't driven by our professionals, right? By our, by our first teamers who are actually, you know, they, they have mobility. So when our scouting staff and our technical director led by, by, by Paul McDonough and, and Kirk Schmidt and Jason Kreiss and Javi Morales and, and, you know, their team has basically been scouring South Florida and, and dealing with the existing programs and existing academies, we tried um, to locate a facility that would, you know, be able to enable kids from West Kendall, Northwestern Dade County, Weston, um, Central Broward, Boca, Palm Beach, where there is an extreme amount of talent in our youth. So when technical directors came to us and I asked them, what is the ideal location for a training academy? Frankly, they came up with a quadrant that went pretty much from North Miami-Dade County, I'd say pretty much, I'd say 100 and 35th Street, give it just a little bit south of Opelika Airport, all the way up to Commercial Boulevard, and pretty much on a quadrant towards the eastern portion of the counties because it facilitated traffic. One of the first sites, frankly, that we looked at was, you know, we looked at Virginia Key, we looked at, at places in Kendall, we looked at Tropical, we looked at areas in Doral, Weston, uh, the Lauder Hill area. Um, and frankly, then we started doing drive time calculations, right? What would it take a mother or father to take their, you know, their young man to, to practice? So we did this very comprehensive study. Um, and frankly, when we started looking at it and centering it, it did fit in that quadrant. One of the areas that we first looked at, frankly, was Amelia Earhart Park uh, to try to build a, a facility there, which, 
Well, number one is to serve the youth, right? We wanted to build 11 or 12 fields, six or seven dedicated to our academy and our, and our professional team, another four or five for the, for the community. But frankly, Amelia Earhart's timeline didn't work. Um, you know, the, the, the laws of Metro-Dade County, any type of, you know, change of use or not change of use, basically enhanced use of a park, um, you know, takes a vote. It would take a referendum in a general election, which would delay us to a 2020 election, probably 2020-2022 opening. You know, that's three years from now. Uh, when we looked at, you know, frankly, the Fort Lauderdale site and and and, and uh, Lockhart and its location and the flexibility that it that it afforded us in order to build a, so we want to build a world class facility, a facility not only for our youth and our training academy, but we could hold, you know, youth tournaments there, so kids don't have to go to Orlando and, and Disney World to go play, where we could bring international tournaments. You know, we like frankly like to build a better facility than exists at IMG in the western coast of Florida. We have interest from national teams to do their off-season training here. We have, you know, international teams that want to play here and run games and exhibitions. So the Lockhart facility met all of that criteria. And frankly, you know, we we were very, very frankly, you know, surprised and pleased the cooperation of the city of Fort Lauderdale that from beginning of the presentation of our proposal to approval took 50 days. So, you know, I look at Fort Lauderdale as becoming in the Lockhart site a, a global centric facility. It is our goal that everything we do is with our youth in mind, our soccer fans in mind, and that this be MLS's, you know, global team based in South Florida. I think that's an interesting point you mentioned, uh, the idea of um, creating kind of a, a hub for soccer for the Americas in Miami. I think that's what a lot of people, I mean, that's been the, the dream of soccer supporters in Miami for ad infinitum forever. Um, if you've cared about this sport here, trying to get to that point, talking more about that site and particularly now the use of it as a a home, a, a temporary home, a two-year home for the MLS side, um, an 18,000 seat venue with the idea of transitioning to USL. Um, do you feel that that choice bringing the team to Broward. You had mentioned with Will Mansell last night on Channel 10, the idea of blurring the lines, eliminating yes. the lines between Miami-Dade and Broward. That's a hell of a lift. That's a, that's a big goal to kind of strive for. Um, do you think that the potential harm in turning off South Miami fans, in particular South Dade fans, getting up there, is, is the juice worth the squeeze? Is it, is it, is, do, you th do you think the payoff will be greater for the team in the long term? I think it's a win-win, and let me explain to you why. And, and I understand the, the concern of some of the residents of the southern portion of Miami-Dade of us, you know, locating temporarily even our first two years and in our academy up, up in Fort Lauderdale. Um, but let, let me tell you how I think this is, this is a win-win. You know, we've always said this is the people's team. There are soccer fans in the, in the tri-county area. When you look at the population of South Florida, uh, frankly, there's, you know, I think between Broward and Palm Beach County, there's close to three and a half million people. I think there's 2.7, 2.8 million in Dade. We want them all to be our fans. If many will remember very early on in my involvement of the team, and they would ask me about interim places, I even entertained the thought of taking the team around, playing a game at FAU, playing a game in Broward, playing a game in Dade, because because I want, I want to expose our team, right, to, to all of the fans of, of our community. When you look at the Lockhart site, the fact that it not only fits training and, and our youth academy and the multitude of fields we'll have there, but it fits a temporary stadium. Frankly, and let's talk about the search for a temporary site, because even if we were gonna start, and to answer your question, the fact we'll have Miami Freedom Park here as our anchor, as our home, where we're gonna play our home games, which will also be a global-centric center for soccer, and I'm sure we'll talk about that later, and having Lockhart is a both of both is the best of both worlds. We'll be able, I think, to to hurdle and touch points and in, in all of the diversity that exists in our community, but more importantly, the passion for soccer. You know, you said Fort Lauderdale has been the ancestral home of professional soccer in South Florida, which it has been. I remember watching the strikers way back when with Nenek Uyas and Gerd Muller and, and watching Hudson and et cetera and all of the great players that have come through here. So we we want to pay tribute to that history as well. But when you look at the fact of, of, of an interim stadium site and what, we, what did we do? We also did an exhaustive search, um, knowing that we would have to find an interim site to kick off in March 2020. The obvious places to look, right? Marlins Park, Hard Rock Stadium, FIU, which are existing facilities. Let's take those in order. 
Hard Rock Stadium, and we have a very, very good relationship with the team at Relevant there and, 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 and with Steve Ross and others. But the fact that they took the Miami Open uh, made it very difficult. The Miami uh, Open coincides with the opening of the MLS season. And then it's not only the Miami Open, it's the dismantling of the facilities, which I think will take four to six weeks. So it would basically make Hard Rock Stadium unavailable until probably mid to late April. So therefore, we would have to then maybe play in two sites, right? It's a little bit easier during the summertime to play in Hard Rock, but then you have scheduling conflicts with the Dolphins and with uh, the University of Miami in the fall. So it was difficult to make that work. And I wanna get into sponsors after because I think that's a difficulty that would exist in, in, in any stadium. And, but I wanna talk about sponsors and the tremendous outreach that this team has had from global sponsors. When we looked at Marlins Park, and we went to extensive discussions with Marlins Park, and either many on its face would say, listen, it's very hard to fit a soccer stadium in a baseball field. True, we went to Yankee Stadium, looked at the NYFC experience, et cetera. And although I'm a fan of the Marlins Stadium itself, I think it's a beautiful facility, it was gonna be very difficult to fit. It would, I think, not be the best of fan experiences for us. And frankly, again, when you looked at, you know, some of the scheduling with Major League Baseball, which coincides in the season, Difficult, not impossible, but difficult. But again, it went into, you know, how could we enhance the fan experience that we want to do? And it was difficult at Marlins Park. At FIU, frankly, when, when you look at it, the turf is a big issue there. Uh, I know there's a reluctance from FIU to switch the turf. We really never considered um, FIU for our first team for the interim seasons, turf being a, a, a deal breaker. Uh, our the type of players we're bringing here will not play on that turf. And we'll get into that discussion later about composition of team roster. So we looked at months ago, the possibility of building our own stadium. We looked at it and we frankly, we got together with a French firm that has built modular, not mobile stadium, modular. Modular, all it means is it's prefabricated steel offsite. So when we looked at the composition of an 18,000 seat stadium, you know, chairbacks on the east and west, canopied for sun and rain protection, open areas for our supporters, you know, behind, behind both goals. You know, we started seeing we can create our own fan experience. We can create a loud, raucous atmosphere. We can control the fan experience from entry to exit because I think it's very important the experience being there. I want it to be very genuinely South Florida, that experience. And it's going to be a very nice facility for an interim facility. So, so when we saw that possibility and the fact that we could create that at Lockhart in a short time period, we were frankly very enthusiastic with that because you know, say we can control the experience. We don't have to fit our experience to an existing facility. And frankly, another side, which is very important, is the outreach that we've had from sponsors, local, national, and global, and I'll, I don't use this term off, often, has been blow your mind. We've been approached by sponsors in every single major category all around the world who wanna be part of our team, who wanna be part of this great vision that we're establishing that is Inner Miami. You know, uh, obviously the David Beckham factor is very important um, here because he's a global icon. I think he's, he, he brings elements here to, to our city that are important that we can exploit. But, you know, the sponsorship experience also allows us full control at a stadium of our building, right? The relationship, the naming opportunities, the type of experiences that our sponsors want to create for their fans. So when you saw this and we looked at the interim site, you know, although I would have my first preference was to be able to do it in Miami-Dade County, that was also impossible. And I, um, you know, an anecdote that, that, that I've said before, but I wanna share with the residents of, of Miami, you know, we, we looked at Tropical Park very hard um, where there is an existing stadium there now. And we offered to build an 18,000 seat stadium at Tropical um, for our interim seasons. Um, frankly, after our two interim seasons, you know, leave it for Miami-Dade County for their use. Uh, but again, based on the laws of, of, of Miami-Dade County, although how frustrating or illogical it may be. The fact that it would exceed 2,999 seats would force that also to a referendum in 2020, meaning therefore that wouldn't happen until 2021 or 2022. So it didn't meet our timeline. So, you know, somewhat frustrating, but we have been since day one, you know, trying to make proactive offers and bring to our community, um, you know, investment and dollars. But I, I think that the Lockhart site for for our first two seasons, for the reasons that I just alluded to, are gonna be fantastic. It'll be a great experience. Majority of games are Saturday night, so I think it'll be very accessible. There's a, you know, there's a rail station a block and a half from the Lockhart site, 45 minutes from the MIC here in Miami, access north and south on I-95 when there's less traffic on a Saturday evening. So I'm looking forward that, you know, all of our fans, all of our residents will be able to participate 
um, at our stadium at the Lockhart site. I think there's an extreme amount of excitement for our team. Um, and so, you know, I think it's, it'll be the best of both worlds and fit the first two years for our team, I think, in a, in a fantastic fashion. I have two more questions about Lockhart. Um, one is one that's come in often from fans who are wondering. You said to the commission last week that the team, the USL team in Fort Lauderdale, would have the identity of Fort Lauderdale. Fort Lauderdale. Have you explored acquiring the Strikers brand? Do you foresee that being something separate from the Strikers brand? We've been in, in conversations with those involved with the Strikers brand. As, as I've said before, we want to be very respectful of the history and allude to the history. I think you'll find an element of the history of all of the soccer teams there. On our side, we're going to do some type of cool, we have some very cool ideas on a quasi-history museum for, for soccer in South Florida. Um, those discussions are ongoing. Our USL team will be a Fort Lauderdale uh, USL team um, uh, moving forward. You know, as soon as we get our USL team up, they will they will be playing at that at that stadium. So, um, you know, I'm gonna think that's going to be an important element. I would anticipate that you know even potentially after our our Miami Freedom Park move, that we may play some Open Cup games there. That we'll bring some exhibition games there. So we we want the Lockhart Stadium site to be active even post our two years of interim there. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm very excited with the potential and the possibilities there. Great. And, and one quick question about, we were talking about transportation and getting there. Obviously, the, the trains go there. Um, do, you, do you foresee, have you guys looked at at all um, helping to transport fans there? Having, Absolutely. Having a place where you park and ride up there with the team? Or? Absolutely. We're going to be probably doing uh, something very innovative uh, with all of our supporters groups leaving either from the MIG or from Miami Freedom Park site at Mel Reese uh, to do a caravan uh, up to the games. But let me allude to something that's important as well. Um, you know, our partners and part of the ownership group uh, are the owners of Uber. Um, they're also the owners of Brian. So I think that you're gonna see part of our ticket package potentially include Uber rides um, up to the stadium, include either discounted or free fares on the Brightline train up with transportation from the Brightline station to the stadium. So we're gonna make transportation as accessible and as easy as possible because we want it to be seamless. We want the experience of going to an Inter-Miami game to start at your home. To try to make it again easy, seamless, that so you start thinking about the team and the game that you're able to enjoy. Uh, we're very much looking forward to activating the plaza that will be in front of the stadium to be very fun, right? So that you can get there an hour or two before the game and be able to enjoy with your family. So all of those elements of, of getting there in traffic, we want to make as easy as possible. Excellent. I want to, I'm, there are one or two other Broward questions I want to ask and then bring it back down to date. Uh, the first is there's kind of a discrepancy between what was mentioned in the official proposal to the city and some of the comments from Paul McDonough um, about what level at which the USL team will be competing in Fort Lauderdale. Are you looking at USL Championship or USL 1 for uh, your uh, USL entry? We're looking at a USL 1 okay. uh, for our facility in, in Broward and our team and we've been in discussions with the USL for oof, almost a year now. <laughs> Great. So that was, that was the first yes. thing I kind of wanted to pin down. The second thing I, I did want to ask about is um, you know, as our audience knows, we are Miami-centric, but uh, if you are a soccer fan in South Florida, you have been to Broward for many a game, uh, because as we mentioned, that's the, that's, that's the home of where soccer has generally been. And there has been some concern on the part of some Broward soccer fans that a USL1 entry um, located at Lockhart Stadium as a reserve side may not be the kind of soccer experience they're hoping for long term. Two years of Major League Soccer certainly delivers what they would want to see. Yes. I think they're concerned about the after effects. So I do, I do want to ask on kind of their behalf, because I know in particular uh, uh, the Reese brothers who are very influential at Flight 19, which is a big yes. supporters group up there. What would you say to them about, again, your, your effort and what you have mentioned, the idea of connecting the counties. Once the Major League Soccer team comes to Miami, how do you foresee that USL side being pushed by Inter-Miami CF from Miami? Well, number one, it'll be, it'll be pushed. Listen, and I know Paul McDonough made a comment, if, if, if there is the opportunity for a successful USL championship side, we'd obviously consider that. Um, but we are committed now to a USL League One team. We're obviously gonna push that very hard. As I said before, and I think to answer to the Broward soccer fan, everything we want to do, we want to excel and we want to be successful at. 
We want to have great teams, great quality players, and we want to be a really a pool of talent that not only feeds our inner Miami team, but that we become one of the best, you know, development and training teams in the world. Frankly, that's what our aspirations are global. So with that said, you know, I've also talked about how do we continue activating, you know, after the MLS team doesn't play the regular season games there. Our MLS team will play exhibition games there. We will play open cup games there. We will activate it with, with, with teams that we know want to come not from here that aren't necessarily going to be playing at a stadium like the one that we want to create um, at Miami Freedom Park. So it will be a very active soccer-centric center, and I think you'll see Inter-Miami at the center of all of that. So my question to the fans is, listen, you know, we will be there. Um, listen, it's, it, it's, it's the home of our players. You know, it's our training. I think you're going to see very innovating things in our training academy. I think you're going to see an ultra high performance center there, which is going to be state of the art. We're working with some partners now to do something extremely innovative. I think you're going to see potentially some liaison and some work very closely with U.S. soccer. I think you're going to see us very closely aligned to CONCACAF. Um, you know, I happened to have dinner with Gianni Infantino from FIFA a week and a half ago now. And I think you'll see some innovative things with us here. The amount of attention that we're receiving is, is, is uncommon for a typical MLS team. And, and you know, we're going to take advantage of that for the benefit of our fans. So, you know, this is going to be ongoing. Um, listen, I invite dialogue with all fans, supporters groups. Um, all of our supporters groups have been here at this table we're sitting now. I want them to be proactive. Frankly, our supporters are helping design their seats and their section, uh, not only in Fort Lauderdale, but frankly at Miami Freedom Park. There's not a session with our architects where our fans aren't involved. It's about them. How fast can you get in? How comfortable is it? How loud is it gonna be? You know, this is all about the fans. I want, I want, I want these stadiums to be designed for our fans, after our fans, and, be, and, and the team be an enjoyable experience. This isn't ownership with some predisposed idea and this is what we're gonna do and dictate it and do the fans. I don't think that works. Right. I want it to be organic. I want it to come from from the people. Right. And and how fun can that be? Right. Our supporters section, at least in you know, the preliminary I see in Miami Freedom Park, super steep rake, very cool. Three couple stands. You know, it's like it's taking form in Fort Lauderdale as well. We asked them, you want chairs? You want chairbacks? No, we want to be standing. We want this. This is what we want. So we're, we're designing it because we're in the process of designing this very quickly now. But we want our fans involved. So my message to those Broward fans is, listen, reach out. You know, we'll talk to you. Be part of the process of building this team. You know, we want you to be part of, of, of building this team. Okay. So let's uh, now bring the discussion back to Dade County. After all, that is what we focus on here yes. at Magic City Soccer. And obviously the last year has been, I can imagine most of your time has been consumed talking about Miami Freedom. Again, bringing it back to Dade County. Um, this has been, this part of it, again, every part of this has been a little bit longer than everyone anticipated. Yes. And so now you are at the negotiation stage after winning the referendum in November. Can you provide us and our viewers some insight onto how that negotiation is going? Absolutely. And listen, I want to, I'd be remiss without saying to, to thank the overwhelming um, number of city of Miami residents that went out and voted in November uh, in favor of a referendum for authorization to negotiate, but more importantly, to bring this dream um, and this vision uh, to reality um, that we call Miami Freedom Park. So I want to thank them. Um, it wasn't only six, over 61% of the voters, it was 62,000 votes. I mean, it was, uh, it was an amazing, I think, mandate for us uh, to, listen, get this done. So I feel a tremendous responsibility. Um, to the voters and to our fans, because you know we have obviously support, you know, outside of the limits of the city of Miami, um, as well, in order to to get this done. And it's very humbling to be a steward of this project, um, because that's 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 what we are. We're we're stewards for 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 the people's team. Let me talk and let me go back a little bit on 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 the on the Melry site and how we chose it and why, and why I think it's so compelling. Um, because I want you know uh, your listeners and, and your viewers uh, to hear from me, uh, to not get it through third news sources and rumors and what people say and the misinformation that exists out there. When we started looking at the potential of a Melry site, it was always done with the narrative of number one, creating Miami's largest park, of being able to take what is now a closed, frankly, you know, you can call it public, but private golf course, you can only get on it if, if you pay, um, 
which is close to the majority of the city of Miami residents, and opening and activating it so people can go with their families and enjoy what should be a great park experience. When you look at the type of stadium that we want to build there, and you mentioned before we're going to be building a 25 to 26,000 seat soccer specific stadium that's going to be state of the art and I guarantee you it'll be the best soccer experience in the United States of America. Uh, with the type of technology that we're looking at, the type of fan experience, it's going to be almost you're going to be assisting to a museum of soccer what we're going to do. But when I started doing frankly and visiting other sites around the country and I've been to Kansas City, Portland, Seattle, Los Angeles, to, to places that have very special game experiences. It's important to surround that stadium with something, with something which lives, with something which gives your family something, but also something that is an economic engine and driver for our city. Because our city needs jobs. Our city needs a place where your family can go and experience something great that is a sport of soccer. I frankly do not believe, I've always said, and I've been criticized nationally for it, that stadiums aren't economic engines on their own. They're not. And other owners and other teams say, oh my God, Jorge Mas, how can you say that? Well, I say it because it's factually correct. You know, I go to games at Marlins Park, I go, I go home. I go to a heat game, great in arena experience, I go home. When I go to Hard Rock, I go home. So there's nothing for me to keep me on the site or surrounding site other than the in-game experience. So. When I looked at this site and we looked at, I think, this beautiful design that Arquitectonica came up with, which would have, you know, great F&B, retail experience, the stadium, hotel component there, and more importantly, a technology hub. And in addition, 23 acres of soccer fields for our youth academies, for our kids, for adult leagues, for people who are going to go up there because we have a huge need in our city and county for fields. But what really drove me to that site is when you look at our ownership group, and you know, it's David Beckham, a global icon, everything he brings from the soccer world. But what I have his partners, Marcelo Claude, who started a very successful company here called Brightstar, sold it to SoftBank, is a CEO and chairman of Sprint, today is a chief operating officer of SoftBank, and Masayoshi San, who is a chairman and developer of SoftBank, who today is the largest tech investor in the world, period, hands down. So these are owners of mine in this venture who are leading edge in technology and artificial intelligence. They own Uber, WeWork, uh, some of the coolest you know, entities in the world. The largest technology fund in the history of mankind called the Vision Fund, it's a $100 billion fund. So my goal was how do I get these ultra uber successful individuals invested in our city? So when you looked at what we're trying to develop at Miami Freedom Park is a technology hub a technology hub that can be the home of the creative minds of young men and women in South Florida so we don't have a brain drain and people who have to leave in order to pursue a career that actually can lure dollars here, that can generate high paying jobs, that can establish an ecosystem of technology, you know, being the gateway to the Americas for Latin America and, and really be able to create a, a technology community and centralize it in South Florida. And when I started looking at the project, my first promise to the residents of the city of Miami was this would be zero taxpayer dollars. We are gonna privately fund the building of the stadium from soup to nuts and of this whole development. And when you look at the fiscal benefits, when you look at the fact that it's gonna generate $44 million in annual tax revenue, split between the city, the county, the state, and the school board, probably about an excess of 11 or $12 million is gonna to go to directly to the city of Miami. Again, I repeat, with zero investment. That's a financial windfall. When you look at it, it's gonna create 11 to 12,000 jobs during the construction period. It's gonna develop you know, 3,200 permanent high paying jobs. When it's gonna be one of the first projects in the country's guaranteeing a living wage. When it's gonna provide an open access air park. It's gonna provide 23 acres of youth soccer fields and soccer facilities for our community. Based on its proximity to the airport, it has 50 million visitors a year. It's going to be able, I think, to generate, obviously, a very parallel experience to those people, which will enhance it in our city. So when you look at all of these benefits, and the fact is we're going to be paying fair market value for the land. They're not giving us anything. We're paying for the land, and we're paying property taxes. This is the only stadium in the United States of America that I'm familiar with, and trust me, I've looked, that does both. Some do one or the other, but not both. So I think when you look at everything that this project can deliver, it's a win-win. Um, obviously, there have been some, you know, 
Um, you know, we got a 3-2 vote, took it to the referendum. I am extremely confident that as we look forward and all of these things that I promised on the dais of the city of Miami in July will be in our lease. So, you know, we look forward to sitting down and negotiating with the city of Miami and their consultants to bring this lease to fruition as quickly as possible to show the people of the city of Miami we will deliver on our promises. But more importantly, the eyes of the world are on us to show them that the potential of the city of Miami that we can get this done, that we can make a transformative project, you know, possible. Um, and so, you know, that's that's our vision and that's the status of uh, Miami Freedom Park now. Great. Going back a little bit to just before we found you found Mel Reeves. Yes. Um, a couple people have been curious about the Overtown site. Um, what's happening with that property? If you see it, we know that you said that there is no plan B. Mel Reeves is, is right. the plan. Um, there's obviously still questions about remediation, which I'm sure you've Yes. been looking at. So could you talk let to us a little bit about that and, and about Overtown as, as a plan B or, or what you're doing? 100%. And, and let's talk about Overtown a little bit. When I got involved with the ownership group, um, you're not, maybe a little bit over a year ago now, a little bit more than that. Um, you know, I always looked at that site that it's not the best site for a soccer specific MLS stadium. Um, you know, I grew up in this community. You know, I, I, you know, I have a significant amount of people who, you know, I have the, the, the pleasure of having as team members here at Maztec who um, who live in that community, and I think it would be detrimental to that community. The status of the Overtown site, frankly, is, um, you know, our ownership group owns seven and a half acres there. The parcel necessary to build a stadium is 10 acres. There's another three acres, give or take, that we have um, an agreement uh, to purchase from Miami, uh, Dade County. That's currently in litigation. Um, there's a Matheson lawsuit trying to prohibit us from doing that. Uh, he's appealing it. I think we'll eventually, obviously, win the lawsuit. Um, and, and hopefully we'll be able to complete, complete the purchase of the 10 acres. But I don't see a soccer stadium going there. I think it's bad for the neighborhood. I think it gentrifies the area. Um, I think it's not a good fan experience. You know, I think there's so many negatives that I've, and I've said publicly a thousand times, our stadium is not going to go there. What I do want to see Overtown become is can we as an ownership group, their help and participate, something's going to spur economic activity and is great for that neighborhood. Right, so we're in discussion with a multitude of groups. I think that share a vision for what I think that site could be ultimately best used for. Um, you know, frankly, if you know, people tell me, "Well, the Overtown site," I don't want to speculate. You know, if if I if I had to build, if I had to have a stadium done because I had a gun to my head in February, and I had to put a stadium there, could it go there? Hypothetically, yes, but it's not in my plans. Um, so I, I want to say that unequivocally. You know, for me, Overtown is 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 not an option. I don't want it to be an option. Um, our only option is Miami Freedom Park because we are going to deliver it for the voters. You know, a few times in the history of this country, this, this is the best stadium development deal in the history of the United States, period. Um, that's been said to us by upteen people in other communities. And let me give you a very vivid example of that. As you're all familiar with, there are three other MLS franchises that are, you know, working on doing the same thing that we are. And they frankly have copied our, our concept. Uh, Columbus, Ohio, um, where the Columbus crew plays now, you know, they're going to be moving to Austin and there's where the team is remaining, but they're going to be constructing a new stadium and a new development and facility very similar to ours in Columbus, Ohio. Nashville, Tennessee is a new expansion team. They're also building a facility that looks very similar to ours in the Nashville Fairgrounds. And you look at Austin, Texas, uh, the pre-court family is building a new team there. Again, very similar to our concept stadium, F&B hotel, I mean, the, the same concepts. All of those three proposals and projects have significant public dollars. All of those cities or counties or state have all contributed to those projects and they're all ready to go, by the way. So, you know, here there's no contribution from the cities. You know, we and none of those had, you know, 61% mandates to get it done. So I'm very confident about Miami Freedom Park. I talked to you about the Overtown facility um, and where we're at. We want to be proactive with that site. Um, I don't think it works. I think that the thinking very early on was this in an urban core site that can deliver to millennials. I think when you look at Mel Reese site where Miami Freedom Park will be located, that is in the center of our city. It is the end and start point of all of our you know, mass transit. It's surrounded on three sides by major highway corridors, only residential on one side, which we will protect. Um, so I think it's an ideal site for, for, for our vision and, and what we want to do. And the remediation, have you? Oh, yes, let me talk about the remediation of Miami Freedom Park. I apologize for no, not addressing no, 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 earlier. It's a lot uh, of questions. Yeah, just post, um, obviously, the referendum when, when we got the go ahead. 
Um, you know, we started organizing for phase one and phase two environmental studies. Um, again, it was somewhat difficult getting that off the ground with, with the city over the first few months, but uh, I'd say probably about four or five weeks ago, we started both phase one and phase two studies. Uh, we should be completed, that is doing boring wells and doing test um, digs for geotechnical uh, sites there. That should be completed, I think, in the next couple of weeks. It's moving along nicely. Um, we should have results um, that we could actually have some measurables on uh, probably six weeks from them. So I anticipate uh, April some type in, in, in late May or early June, we should have some, some results. Um, you know, I have a lot of you know thoughts from our environmental consultants on what it will take or not. Again, they're not you know they're based on some scientific data, but not sites. I, I don't foresee the remediation issue being one that is going to be an an uncertain you know an, an obstacle we're not going to be able to to surmount. But we will have much more specific information in the late May June timeframe. Great. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> question that I had about the political reality yes. uh, of Miami Freedom Park. We've talked about some of the logistical realities of it, but I was in the same city commission meetings you were in last summer, watching you and your your team talk about what you had in mind. And I also got to see, as you got to see, the reaction from the five commissioners yes. who have the vote. Ultimately, as you, you mentioned to us before we started recording, you, you have a constituency of five. You gotta, you gotta figure yes. out to get their votes. Um, and, and you gotta get four. The, the, for the referendum, it was three, yes. and and the three was pulling teeth. Yes. Four is an even higher hill to climb. Obviously, we're you know we're talking about math here. We can do four and yes. one three. Um, uh, editorializing for a second, I don't see Manolo Reyes as being the uh, the easiest bottle to pull off the shelf. It would appear that you need to hold your three votes and then reach out to Commissioner Gort, who represents the Grapeland District. Yes. Uh, and convince him that it's a good vote for his district as well. Yes. Those, you know, you have the, the negotiation aspect of it, but you also have the political reality of it. How are you, what is your message, you know, if to, acting as though you're, you're the politician, you're, the, you're reaching out to them, communicating to them. What, what is, what were you presenting to all five commissioners to try to get them on board with your right. vision? By the way, your editorial read is accurate. <laughs> <laughs> um, listen, and, and, and one thing, and I learned it from my late father, you'll, you'll always know what I'm thinking. Um, I always say what I'm thinking and I always do what I say I'm going to do. Um, I want to reassure those commissioners and, you know, Commissioner Reyes and Commissioner Gord uh, had their doubts and were their no's. I think really frankly, um, because, you know, they, they look at the existing relationship that exists there with the DeLuca family and the Mel Reese golf course. Um, and I respect that and they're bound to, to friendship with them. and. And I understand that, um, but my message to them, and, and obviously in, in the most positive fashion and ways, and I have tremendous, you know, re, you know, they're elected, our elected officials. I respect them both very much. You know, Commissioner Gort requested of me to reach out to the community, to reach out to his neighbors, to reach out to the people whom he, you know, frankly, correctly says, will be mostly affected, either positively or negatively, in their viewpoint by by this development. We've been doing so. Maybe not in the most visible, loudest manner to make news, but we have been doing that. Um, I'd like to say that in District 1, there was a highest, a second highest district of yes votes for this. The surrounding neighborhoods around it voted resoundingly yes. In the course of the last four months, we have run seven focus groups in that neighborhood. And I don't say this lightly when I say if we took the vote again, we'd get probably closer to 80 to 85% of yes. But obviously, Commissioner Gort needs to know this. So we have quietly been doing this because I want to take care of the needs of the neighbors. I want to assure them that there will be no traffic issues. So frankly, the traffic study that we've been doing has actually been almost focused more on their neighborhood than it has on the, on the, on the park. So when you see our release of our traffic study, hopefully in a week or two, it will really address the neighborhood as it is today. Because they have a traffic issue today. For, forget Miami Freedom Park, I think alleviates it because I think there's two and a half miles of uh, queuing and egress. I've learned all these terms of traffic, but I'm really focusing on the neighborhood. I want the neighborhood to be engaged in designing their park. I want the neighborhood to understand what type of amenities they'll have there and what they would like to see. We will be having our first uh, community meeting tomorrow night. Um, 
I think you will see in the course of the next uh, four to six weeks an extremely highly visible outreach uh, from our team to the community and to the neighborhood um, and every aspect of the way. So when, you know, Commissioner Gord is presented a complete, we have to have a complete lease to show the commission that he will have hopefully heard from his residents that we have delivered on his request of us, that we have talked to his neighbors, that we have, um, you know, hopefully shown him that his district has overwhelming support for this and that any concerns he may have, we can allay or we can address. Uh, my message to Commissioner Ray is, is we will be doing the same things in District 4. We are reaching out to the community and to the neighbors there. Um, I believe there was 13,000 people in District 4 who voted yes uh, for this vision and, and yes for Miami Freedom Park. So we'll be engaging that. Uh, I'm hoping that Commissioner Reyes can also weigh the benefits to his community and also what his voters wanted. Um, frankly, I may be naive, but I'm very confident, hopefully at the end of a 5-0 vote, because I think this is so compelling for our community, but I will be reaching out to the commissioners. We will be very proactive in doing that. Um, I understand the realities of politics and I understand what's going on, but I believe in the power of the voter and the power of democracy more than I do in, in just our, well, an individual's opinion. So, you know, I, we're going to put our best foot forward. We're going to engage the communities. I want there to be a groundswell of support for this project and, and frankly, for bringing our team here and all the benefits that it brings. So I think, you know, we've been waiting, frankly, to get kicked off with the negotiations to, to, to be more visible and public in what we've been doing. But rest assured, over the last three, four months, we've been working very, very hard with, with the communities and the stakeholders. I want to ask one more <clears throat> Miami Freedom Park question, and it, it does kind of also circle back around to um, the Overtown site as well, because I, I think that the question I'm going to ask there, it's kind of connected. <clears throat> so you you have in your mind a vision. You, you, you Again, with Will Manso uh, last night, you mentioned 30 to 45 days you'd like to put this in yes. front of the commission. So that means you're going to have an idea of whether this is actually going to come to fruition in two months. Yes. So we don't have to... And talk about in five years and ten years. What in in three months? We will know. There's a vote. Yes. And if the vote comes yes, obviously the 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 backhoes start digging and whatever. I'm I'm not involved in building, so whatever right. instruments are used to build this is are going to be heading into uh, Melrose. If it it's a yes, there's still that lot in Overtown, and as you mentioned, you have an idea for what it's for. Would it be fair to say? that if that land isn't going to be used for a team purpose, stadium or otherwise, that there are some concerns that, that maybe that land should be relinquished or returned or in consult with the city put to a different use. And if the vote is a no, you said it overtime is not even in your mind, but it's a possibility. It, would that be the next step or do, do you have, is if overtime is step Z, is there right. something between step right. A and step Z? Okay. Um, if it's a let, let's go to the bottom line, right? So if, if it's a no for Miami Freedom Park, the city of Miami, for some reason tomorrow, all five commissioners said no, we don't want it for whatever reason, right? And that door closed completely. Again, I, I think that will never happen. Um, sure. I am super confident, and I and I think that the is logic, right? For some reason, right? We had to start building a stadium tomorrow. I only have one site, okay. should be the Overtown site. There is not. Um, there really isn't. I mean, even if we wanted, you know, let's, let's say that we wanted to go to a tropical park, for example, that's a 2020 referendum. So if I, I only have one site to a buildable site, that's a reality, right? And we have to, you know, fix a lawsuit and do those things, sure. which that, that hopefully will end very soon. But that's reality. Yeah. Um, so to answer your question, that, that answers your question. Okay. Um, uh, you know, other than that, I you know I think we're moving from Miami. If Miami Freedom Park said yes, what happens to Overtown? Right. That's obviously a conversation we'll sit down with the county at the time. Um, yes, I'm sorry, it's Miami. It's a county. It's a county. We'll yes. we'll sit with the county and we'll figure it out and we'll try to do. There is frankly, you know, I, I came up with a novel idea. I don't think it's novel. I think it's pretty logical um, of how we help remake you know that area because I I listened to the residents there. I know that there's a request for proposal out for redevelopment of Comer Gardens to do something very nice for the neighborhood there, of which obviously our parcel is dead center. And I think there's something innovative there that we can do, and I'd like to be part of that. And that's going to be ongoing. That will happen. I think it's up for an RFP, I think, actually this week. Um, so, you know, we want to be a proactive partner in everything that we do here. So, 
you know, if, if the stadium doesn't go there, I'd like to see that site go for the best use possible for the neighborhood. Okay. What that is today, I, I don't know. Okay, interesting. Thank you very much. I know we kind of right. circled back around yes. on that, but, but that was illuminating. Um, let's move on now to the kind of the third portion here, which I think a lot of fans, yes. you know, p political minded people. The fun get, stuff. Yes, let's get to the fun <laughs> stuff. Yeah, amen. So um, let's talk about team calendars. Yes. You know, we, you've got 11 months, yes. basically, yes. to build a stadium. Yes, sir. Hire a coach, yes, sir. Put, put a team, a team together, together, and get a field. How? Let's How, talk how's about that, that going? <laughs> Let's talk about that. Getting a stadium, doing. I said before. Listen, if we if we are able to break ground in Fort Lauderdale in uh, July, we'll have a stadium built by February. Um, frankly, we've had conversations with the city today, Monday, and today's right. Monday. Yeah. Today's <laughs> Monday. Um, we're already trying to work on interim permits. Um, as fast as we can get there, we'll we'll get that done. So, from a facilities point of view. Obviously, with a facility, we, we, we should be done um, building a team. Um, our scouts have been looking at if you, you know, our, our team headquarters is uh, three, three floors under us here. <laughs> if you look at the walls, they're full of uh, prospective rosters. Um, I think our fans will be extremely happy with the type of makeup of players we're looking. I can anticipate that our fans that you'll see a type of at, uh, Atlanta United model. Um, you know, our, our, our general manager is Paul McDonough, who helped build uh, the Atlanta team. I think you'll see a mix of young talent, of uh, uber talent, young talent, mixed with some uh, guys who are very established veterans um, and superstars. And I don't mean veterans, old guys. Uh, the MLS, is, it's not going to be a league anymore where guys come here to, to retire. I think you'll see guys who are in their primes, um, who are world-class players. Combined with youth, our scouts have been in uh, Uruguay, Argentina, Brazil, Colombia, Venezuela, Mexico um, in the last four months. Um, so, you know, we have we have a prospective list. I think, um, you know, you look at the three designated players that we have in the MLS to not be capped by salary. Uh, you know, each designated player we choose changes the next one. Because if we pick striker X, and then our man on the wing is a different than, than the option is if we go with the X or we go with our number 10 or we go with our midfielder. So to see down there, the combination, these are, all, these are all players you all know, right? These are all, and this is frankly because the outreach to David Beckham has been overwhelming. Um, and some of them have been very outspoken, like Antoine Griezmann and others who want to come <laughs> we here. We literally have a comment from Alex Vindley on our live chat, Griezmann. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> you will see an extremely, very exciting team here. We have a very aggressive style. We'll start building our rosters in the fall. You know that the MLS draft will be December, January. We fill in caps. We have different scenarios. Um, we'll be very active. You know, after the signing period, um, I think you'll see some announcement of some European players will come here, and some uh, South American players who we'll be getting. I anticipate announcing our coach in the October timeframe. Um, we've we frankly have uh, two finalists. Um, which I've interviewed extensively. Um, I'm very excited about the possibilities of both. Um, if you care to come mention here, they're, international, international, <laughs> you know. they're, they're very high profile coaches and everybody will know who they are. Um, and I think for me, it's about fit. I think leadership matters. So we need a manager here who um, can lead men, who can take that mix of veteran leadership and young talent and be able to manage it. I need someone who's been ultra successful on the international stage. They have been. Um, someone who can change, start changing the model of how we play MLS football and soccer. Um, so I think it'll be very exciting. Um, but I think you'll see all that coming together in, 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 in the fall. Um, we'll be having very exciting announcements for our academy in May. Uh, we're going to be sending out invitations to those young men who will be finalists to be our first members of our academy. Um, so I think you're going to be seeing a tremendous launch uh, there. Um, our scouts tell us there's a lot of talent in South Florida um, that won't have to leave. Um, and also, we're going to be developing a training system. That's important. We, I think that you should no longer be seeing Portuguese teams as a springboard for Latin, springboard for Latin American talent to then either go to bigger European teams or go to the Premier League or 
or La Liga or Serie A or the Bundesliga, I think you'll start seeing Miami be that springboard. Um, you know, we're entering some, some, I'll say relationships loosely, you can call them affiliations or other, with, with some major teams that have, I think, extreme young talent that we will be uh, having the correct arrangements with so that we can develop that talent here in Miami. Um, so I think from a fan perspective, which is finally what I want to get starting to talk about, you're going to see a super, super good team that I think will be, you know, competing for an MLS Cup, you know, right from the bat. I think that's what people in Miami would be interested in Absolutely. seeing is a, is a competitor right from the start. Um, yeah, I have one quick question about the technical team. Yes. Sorry, uh, Jason Price. Yes. Is he going to be splitting his time between U.S. Soccer and Inter? Can you tell us about? He is. They poached. They that? poached one of our coaches. <laughs> um, you know, he's going to be coaching the United States Olympic team, um, the Tokyo Olympics, so U23 team. Jason is a tremendous talent um, who is here. He will be splitting his time between Inter Miami and his uh, responsibilities as uh, uh, the coach of the United States Olympic team. And I, I guess that's you. You guys are fine with that because yes, it, the I benefits know, outweigh whatever damage. First, is. it's a tremendous opportunity for Jason. Second, it's a tremendous opportunity for us as a team to have our coach coaching the Olympic team. Uh, the you know the scouting benefits and the relationship with U.S. Soccer that we intend to have are are extensive. And you know, uh, and Jason's downstairs now, looking at film. Uh, frankly, of players. So, so Jason will, will be splitting his time, and you know we're very, very happy for for Jason to be named the U.S. Olympic coach. And I think it speaks well of what we've hired in Inter Miami so far, right? Really early on. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, I, I did want to ask this. This is a question that came up uh, through our Twitter account, actually. And honestly, I want to credit the person asking because I thought it was a really good one to mention. Yes. Uh, in terms of your outreach to fans yes and in particular social media use yes um the, the social media accounts of inter miami have been uh pretty well focused on advancing the message of building miami freedom park renovating lockhart the certain points to hit on that then really get hit on but in terms of pj harris by the way that's who asked yes. and I, I really i made a mental note to ask it because i really liked it um how do you, and I know, I know a big part of that is through the supporters groups, how do you plan as a club to kind of boost your voice in terms of connecting through to individual fans through social media? Let's talk about that. You will see a social media, uh, is revamp the right word? Um, if you go downstairs, there's a huge board about our new social media channels and what they will look like. And it will have extreme outreach directly to our fans it will be very differently focused on what you've seen in the last since, since our beginning, which has been very centric to our ability to find places to play, right. and places to build. It, it's going to change. Um, I think you'll see that rolled out very soon. Um, and frankly, because of the need for, we're going to roll out. We need to sell tickets. We need to get our membership going. Well, that was yeah. Yes. We, we've had yes. several questions about when do they have merchandise? Do you want to buy stuff? We want to buy season we, tickets. So do we. Uh, <laughs> you know, frankly, with Adidas. Um, you know, we're being treated differently than all the MLS teams. Um, you know, the typical relationships that exist with MLS teams through Adidas, even MLS relationships, are different with us. Um, you know, there's extreme demand for our product, and we're doing it the right way. So even from the design of our jerseys, of our leisure wear, of these ultra-cool pink hoodies that they're coming up with, um, you know, they're all going to be rolled out, right? Everything takes too long for my liking. I would, I'd love to have had a... We're going to be building pop-up stores, by the way. There will be team stores located throughout um, Dade and Broward County very soon. You'll see that rolled out um, quickly. But our outreach to fans will be very different than the experience you've seen now um, in every aspect. And I think that will take, there's going to be a huge, you'll be able to be a member of Inter-Miami. and There'll be extreme benefits with that. Um, when you sign up for tickets, to be first in line, not only for our NM site, but for our stadium, Miami Freedom Park. We're going to be rolling out the design of the new stadium very soon. I think it is going to blow people's minds. I think when you look at the design of it, it is extremely unique. Those that have seen it from the architectural community, frankly, think uh, uh, it's world class. Um, I, I think it's an ultra cool design. So, you, so my answer to him is, listen, you're right on the money. You'll see very, very big changes. And the next, the next two months for us are going to be super active. And I think from a Sounds social like media <laughs> point of view, it will be a very different interactive interaction with our fans. You know, we've been very focused on interaction through our supporters groups to now, because frankly, they're like here almost, right? They, right. Um, but, but we're going to be going directly to the fans. 
tuner, I think you'll, you'll love the changes that are coming. So I do want to talk about time frame, as you mentioned. Next two months, it sounds like you've got about 15 different things coming down the pike between uh, release of, of renderings and, and, and permitting issues with Florida on top of social media, on top of this and that. Going into the fall, as you mentioned, when the questions of the, the team will really come to the forefront. Yes. Coach will be uh, hired. Yes. Quick question before I get to my larger question. Would you anticipate the first player signing would come after? No. No. You'll see the first player signing right after the window. Right after the transfer window yes. opens? Yes. So we're looking in June? Yes. Okay. In the that's, summer. That's good to know. In that's the good summer. to know. Um, so make a pin of that. Um, the, 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 the larger question I, I, I wanted to ask is there's a, there's now a, something that actually Abel mentioned, if you don't mind, I'm kind of, sure. yeah. you know the, the training venue yeah. uh, site, you want to build the training venue at Lockhart for 2020. You want the team to kick off yes. in 2020. Yes. What's going to happen in the winter of, that, of this year? We will have to start our training probably somewhere else. Um, you know, with different pitches, It'll be close, but let's say we're we're planning on starting like our actual training practices and things for our, especially for our youth academy teams on different fields. Obviously, we're not going to be we're not going to have fields done in August at Lockhart. It's not going to sure. happen. We're going to probably start our youth academies in August. So I know that Paul and our team is looking at using fields, um, and I think they found some locations, um, and I think it's in the southern central Broward area. They've told me that's some really nice pitches and fields. So we'll probably start there. We're going to start somewhere other than Lockhart. Sure. Okay. Um, and, and maybe it's where some existing academy teams are now. We have a great relationship with the youth academy teams here. Um, so it's, it, that's been very, very proactive, very good with West and West Kendall, with the, the, the group from Boca. So, so, you know, listen, we're here to help them. You know, not many MLS teams are seen as a threat to these academies. Right? We want to be the opposite. Sure. Right. Um, Abel, do you have anything else? Sure. I have, I have one more question that's sort of out of category and, yes. and it's I sort of put it together from questions that people have have put to me right how do you guys plan to invest in soccer infrastructure outside of Mel Reese awesome and on top of that um, do you foresee doing soccer clinics here outside of Miami outside of South Florida yeah. how, do, how do you see that my answer is yes to that? both we are gonna be uh, we're gonna have a very proactive um, program um, with the uh, U.S. Soccer Foundation, and we're gonna be building a lot of mini pitches, especially more in the urban core of Miami. Um, you will see making us investments in, in additional soccer fields in different areas of our community, specifically some in the Homestead and West Kendall area. Um, you know, we are gonna invest in soccer infrastructure here um, for the benefit of our youth. And frankly, it's because we want people to be part of our team more than just I can take it or a uniform. We want to invest in the youth in our community. It's not only going to be the investment in our training center or the investment we're going to make in Miami Freedom Park. You'll see us very proactively doing that. We also want to do, we're going to be, you're going to see us, you're going to get sick of our coaches' clinics. <laughs> in our coaches' clinics, not only for players, our coaches' clinics for coaches. It's important that we develop coaching. And I'll use this as an example. Um, and, you know, you look at high school football here. We're probably top three areas in the United States of America with talent, football talent here. If you only recruited out of Dade and Broward County, you probably have a national championship team every year, right? The Schnellenberger theory. It's, it's <laughs> the, no doubt. The state of Miami. But how do we give those young men an option that it's not only football, that it's also soccer? But you need to start that at a very young age, but it starts with coaching, right? There's phenomenal football coaches here, right? Um, you know, I'm a graduate of Columbus High School. We have a great football program. I help, I support. But how do we develop soccer? So that's to go with coaches. If you don't get the right mentorship or coaching when you're five, six, seven years old, it's more difficult, right? Your spatial ability, the ability to actually handle the ball because no matter how talented you are, it's hard to start when you're 16 or 17. So if you start very young, so we're gonna be doing coaches. We're gonna be supporting youth programs that are soccer-centric. We're gonna do player clinics. You will see our team super active everywhere. Here, you know, they, we're gonna we're gonna basically focus, you know, Dade, Broward, Palm Beach County. Um, you know, I'd like to do some things in the Naples, Fort Myers area, frankly, because that's also our region and our territory. You'll see us doing outreach there. That'll come. Uh, we'll get there. But you're gonna see us proactive in youth soccer, coaches, clinics. We'll be everywhere. You, you will see Inter Miami everywhere. We have a concept where we're gonna have 
Um, you know, during the referendum campaign, we had like these food trucks going everywhere, right? Which is a super hit. You're gonna see something very different, soccer-centric, that'll be mobile with Inner Miami. And I think it'll be a very cool concept for the kids and for youth with coaches and our team players. You're gonna see our outreach to the community unparalleled by any other sports franchise here in South Florida. And these, some of these clinics or, or soccer events, will they be free? They're all, They're yes, they'll be free, absolutely, or affordable, absolutely. As you guys know, I said before, um, you know, we're gonna, you know, the pay-to-play model shouldn't restrict a young man or young woman from aspiring to be a great soccer player, and we're, we're going to help to do that. You actually, that last thing reminded me of a question I almost forgot to ask: women's soccer. Yes. What role do you foresee Inter Miami CF playing in bringing uh, women's soccer not only at the youth level but also potentially at the professional, professional level, level to South Florida? We, you will see Inter Miami doing that. Uh, we're already in discussions with what we consider to be the, the preeminent. Uh, Girls Soccer Academy, that was located in Broward. Um, I think you'll see an affiliation with Inter Miami. You know, the professional league is struggling. Um, we will be proactive in doing that. You will see us engaged in, in girls soccer. That will happen. Um, my daughter played soccer, so I, you know, I have like a vested uh, interest in making sure girls have the, the, the same or better opportunities than, than young men do. So you will see us do that. That'll be a secondary rollout. We've got a lot of our on our plate right now, as we've discussed here. But but that's but that's ongoing. So we are in conversations. You may you may see something there. I'd say probably in the, in the fall, definitely. Next to last question, and we will let you go. Where we're very appreciative of your time. Um, as we again, as we mentioned before, we started recording. We cover soccer. We like to think soup to nuts here in Dayton, yes. and that includes a number of lower level league teams. And there are fans of those lower level league teams that look at. Inter Miami CF with a skepticism. They're worried that their clubs that have been established, whether they're UPSL or NPSL or you know former NASL and all, all those in, entanglements that have nothing to generally have nothing to do with you, but they're they're concerned that lower level soccer is going to get squeezed out of Miami by MLS. Um, has your have you or your ownership group taken steps to reach out to those lower level league sides? And do you foresee a future where Inter Miami and those lower level sides can coexist? Well, I hope we can coexist. Um, I'm hoping there's a sufficient market of passion and enthusiasm for those teams. Obviously, it's not our intent to you know to, to hurt anyone. Sure. Um, you know, um, our sporting team I know has been in contact with some of those teams. I don't know if all, frankly, I can't speak because I I don't know. Um, but it's our intention that, you know, there's a big pie. There should be enough for everybody. I would hope that, you know, those teams that are, that are successful in their respective leagues continue to do so and they can count on our support or where we can be helpful. Um, but no, it's, you know, it's not our intention here to come. I, I gain nothing by dominating the market or eliminating someone, you know. We're in search to put a great product on the field, give a great fan experience, and give something to Miami that they don't have to be. Okay. Uh, last question for me. Um, you came on board again about a little under 18 months ago. Yes. Um, big uh, announcement January of 2018 about the direction of the club, and a lot of things happened very quickly. Your involvement yes. appeared to re-energize the bid. Again, you, you, you and, and the rest of the energy group was pretty candid about the fact that if not for you, this was going away. Right. You have now been in this in, in, in the, the, the spin cycle of this for a year. Where do you, where have you found the greatest struggle in terms of trying to get this over the line? And where have you found the greatest joy in, in terms of trying to make this happen? I'll start with the greatest joy first has been the extreme amount of fan support we've received. Um, the reception for our team has been extraordinary. I had no idea the passion for soccer and football here, the hunger for people to want to coalesce and rally around a team that everybody can call their own. That's been my greatest joy. The greatest joy is seeing our community really get this overwhelmingly that, that's been phenomenal which gives me energy and passion to make sure we get this done uh the greatest frustration if we may so call it don't call it disappointment we'll call it the greatest frustration it's been a difficult political process uh for something that i think frankly is um has all benefits um you know on, on listen every other sports team here are all heavily publicly funded um, I'm not even going to get into the Jeffrey Laurie Martin deal, right? They're all heavily funded. They're still heavily funded publicly with taxpayers. 
you know, what is it going to take to make it happen here? Um, you know, I'm, I'm super confident it's gonna, we'll make it happen. But that has been frustrating just seeing that difficulty because coming from the private sector, coming from an area where we tend to do things um, in a highly efficient, fast manner. And I know government doesn't work like that. I get it. Um, I get it. And I understand it. But, you know, um, again, the political process has been, you ask me a question, I'll be very honest in the answer. It's been just been frustrating. It's taken a little longer than we would have wanted it to, but, but, it, but it will be well worth the wait. Okay. Um, Mr. Moss, we want to thank you very thank much you very for your much. time today. Um, Abel, thank you as always. Excellent questions on your part. And uh, uh, as I mentioned, uh, Spanish language radio star now. Oh, yeah. yeah. A couple times. Like that. <laughs> I think that was actually kind of the tie that, that bound um, last week that, that got us in touch with Mr. Moss. So, um, Abel, thank you very much this afternoon for for coming out. Yeah. Always Thank glad you. To <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Uh, and so uh, until next time, uh, if you're watching this live, uh, we will have the full video posted on our website very shortly. Um, you can actually just watch the live broadcast back again. Uh, we'll, we'll also have some clips available too, and we'll have the audio in our podcast feed hopefully tomorrow, assuming technology works out for us. Um, but uh, until next time, uh, this has been Magic City Soccer. Go Inter Miami CF and go Miami Soccer.